y'all. Welcome to the porch. We're live. Live and local. What you think? What are you, what's on your mind? What is truth? <laughs> well, the Greek word for it is aletheia. 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 And Thayer's Greek lexicon defines it as universally, universally what is true in any matter under consideration, opposed to what is feigned, fictitious, or false. In reality, in fact, certainly. And then dictionary.com defines it as the true or actual state of a matter, conformity with fact or reality. What do you think Pilate was asking? when he asked what is truth to Jesus. I mean, mm. Jesus has been declared by these people as a king, which is in opposition to Pontius Pilate's employer, which is Caesar, mm -hmm. who is the king. What do you think he's asking? What is truth? Um, what is truth? I think in that context, he was... He was um, asking, uh, is it, is truth, um, is there one truth, is there one single universal truth, or um, it, does it depend on who you ask? Because I think in that situation he was trying to figure out whether he should appease the crowd and crucify Jesus, or... Uh, let the innocent man go. And uh, I think he was asking, you know, is truth, um, whether this Jesus is king or not, does that truth matter? The, the truth that I'm worried about right now is the truth that this crowd is going to flip their lid if I don't give them what they want and crucify this guy. Which is, they said he was declaring himself as a king. Mm -hmm. And he says, I think Jesus responded to him. He's just like, you have no power other than the power that's been given to you. I mean, he could call down legions of angels at this moment in time. And basically, I think if he were to call down legions of angels, it would have annihilated mankind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, one angel probably can put quite a few men even of the most military prowess to flight i would imagine i would imagine so i don't know when you ask or when pontius asked what is truth it's such a strange question mm -hmm. what is truth i think his wife had had a dream about jesus and she basically says have nothing to do with this man in a sense mm -hmm. i'd had a dream about him so it's just like but i mean he's a politician mm -hmm. i mean yeah what's truth to a politician what's truth to a politician it's relative i think some politicians probably start out just like all people start out in business. You want to do something maybe for God or maybe you want to do something for the betterment of your community or you want to do it for young people. And I don't think this is every single politician. There are probably still a lot of politicians that are trying to hold to what they think is true. They may not be 
they may not be torn as much by you know money or power as some others may mm-hmm. and have to have to lie or have to compromise on their own integrity or or principles that they live by to be able to keep their position of power or keep maybe money or monetary gain coming into their camp. And I think what is truth? Yeah, and I'm doubtful that there are any politicians in higher roles, you know, governors and and things like that. Um, But uh, I don't think that's because all of them get... um, Corrupted, I think the ones that I think it's it's almost necessary to give into that corruption to make it that far. So I think there's tons of politicians that start out honest and with good intentions, and I think there are many active politicians who are that way. Um, but I don't think they can make it to a higher role. I think uh, because the people around them won't let them. The people who make those decisions. They want somebody who will uh, be corrupted, who will do things that are corrupted um, that fit in their agenda. Um, it's probably the same within ministry as well. Yeah, that's a pretty cynical view to have, but unfortunately I think it's true. Yeah, I think it is true. <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes you have to compromise on... Well, I think that, you know, it said that you'll itch the ears of people to maybe feel the offering boxes. Um, you'll say things that maybe go against whatever your principles at one time were mm-hmm. uh, to be able to get the numbers into the building. I think that happens or just to be popular. Mm. I think it happens. I think it happens in all of us, I think that w- number one, because we're all sinners, mm-hmm. all of us. So it's not like we were perfect going into the game of politics or perfect going into the game of ministry. You were a sinner going in. Mm-hmm. So I think what is truth? I think Jesus defines it as this: I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he defines himself as the truth. So it's interesting. Yeah, um, John Piper has a really interesting way of uh, defining it. Um, He talks about assumptions first, and he says, We tend to see things in the light of our assumptions and interpret them to fit our assumptions. We bring life experiences and conceptions of reality to what we experience in and outside the books of the Bible, and we tend to see what we see in connection with those assumptions, and that can give a meaning which might be helpful if it's a true assumption or hurtful if it's a harm or I'm sorry hurtful or harmful if it's a wrong assumption that's why they assumptions are so important because they tend to be controlling we should test our assumptions by texts or scriptures that push back that that contradict contradict our assumptions um and then he uh, so in in John 8 Jesus says the truth will set you free. That means that you can test truth. There's a tangible way to test whether something is true, whether it sets you free or not. So John Piper, he has, uh, he defines freedom like this. You have, you are free when you have these four things: the desire to do what you want, the ability to do what you want, the opportunity to do what you want, and uh, the fourth one, if you have the desire 
the ability and the opportunity to do something, but it destroys you in the end, then you're not free. So the desire, uh, if you don't have the desire to do something, you're not free. You can act against those desires, but that's a life lived in frustration. You're not really free. Um, if you have the desire, but you don't have the ability, then you're not free to do it. So the lack of ability could be physical limitations, financial limitations, or just whatever keeps you from being able to do that. The opportunity to do what you want, um, if you have the desire and the ability to do something, but you don't have the opportunity, then you're not free. And an example he gave was, uh, I have the desire for free speech and I have the ability to speak my mind and my ideas, but I live in a country like Saudi Arabia where I could be killed for saying the wrong thing. Mm. So you don't have the opportunity. You're not free. And then four, um, if you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity, but that thing destroys you in the end. So the context he's talking about is sin. If that sin destroys you in the end, then you're not free. Um, experiencing full freedom is having the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you with no regrets forever. Hmm. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. I mean, we talk about you know, the freedom of speech in a sense. It's like today, even in the country that we live in, you know, freedom of speech has been one of those things that Americans have touted for such a long period of time. But I would say that that may not be free anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes at a cost because there's always a camera going. There's always a cell phone around. You can't have a conversation without being ridiculed or without being potentially harmed, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's becoming less and less free. I think that that's probably because of such a great division here in America. I think that you especially look at some of the social matters that are going on right now. You know, I don't like, and this is me personally, I don't really care for the word racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Because we're all one human race. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're one race, this person's one race, this person's one race. We're all humans. I would say that there are different ethnicities. Mm -hmm. So I think that you see that same thing even in Germany back in, you know, 30s, 40s, where that was ethnic cleansing. Yeah. And I think that when you take that context, it's just like it removes that people are different than you. They're not really different than you in the context of that we're the same species. We're different in the fact that you may eat a particular meal on Sunday that you've traditionally eaten for a long period of time, and then you go into a place that's four states away and they eat something totally different on Sunday. That's just cultural. And there are definitely cultural differences, but I don't think that there's a difference in species. Mm So I think that there has to be a truth in that as well. What is truth in that matter? And I think that that would have to go back to, do we believe that man, human, began with Adam and Eve and did every single human that is existing on the planet at this time, are they all descendants of Adam and Eve? Is that truth or not? Because if it is, then there is no such thing as racism. Right. We're all the same race. That's right. 
So I think that you have to come to those truths on your own. I think that's that seek out your own salvation through fear and trembling. That's kind of contextual, but if you hold the Bible as true, then the creation of Adam and Eve, according to Genesis, is the beginning of this current human race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um <clears throat> trying to find the note um got a little shout shout out to job lab services is sponsoring (laughs) our water cups um god defines truth not us so isaiah 45 19 uh god is speaking and he says i the lord speak the truth i declare what is right so if you know in in the in christian circles and as christians we can we can we have one singular truth and source of truth, uh, so there's it's it's difficult uh, or should be difficult to get into debates about what's true or not. Whenever God defines truth, if if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then what God says is true. How He declares truth, what He um, decides is truth, is true. That's yeah. that's it. There's no question about it. So that that kind of gives followers of Jesus a freedom and a, it allows us to just we don't have to you know think about um, this this group of people says this is true and the other this other group of people says that the opposite is true yeah. let's examine it which one's true which one's right which one has more flaws we don't have to burden ourselves with that we have one source of truth and it's he wrote it all or he inspired humans to write it all down for us yeah or yeah um, so that we don't have to guess. takes the guesswork out of it. Um, John, MacArthur, John MacArthur's commentary on 2 Corinthians 6.2 says that Paul emphasized this point by quoting Isaiah 49.8. He was passionately concerned that the Corinthians adhere to the truth because it was God's time to save, and they were messengers for helping to spread that message. So we... God has told us um, the gospel. We've, you know, he sent his son to die on our behalf so that we didn't have to, and and through his blood and through accepting that sacrifice and and, um, accepting him as our Lord, we, we get this one singular truth. And if we just adhere to that truth, if we make that our priority... Um, and not trying to figure it out on our own, what's comfortable for us, what's not comfortable for us, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it just it's, it simplifies it. Yeah, and I think that sometimes I think that we miss some of the gospel, mm-hmm. or at least I know that I have a lot of times in the past, I, I only focus on his death. I only focus on his death. Well, that's just a piece of the gospel mm-hmm. uh, because gospel means good news. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody dying, you know, if you just had a relative die, that ne- that wouldn't be necessarily good news. Right. And then if um, you had somebody that died for you, that's not really that great a news. But you had somebody who died, they died for you, and then they were buried. I mean, we've all been to funerals. I mean, it's. I know that Christians will say that we're those are celebration of their life but at the same time you're still sad Mm -hmm. 
So I think that you even have the followers of Jesus who knew him way more personally than me or you have had the opportunity to actually brush elbows with the living, existing Jesus while he was walking the planet. So he died, he died for me, and he was buried. But then you, you have to take the rest of the gospel that he was raised from the dead. Because if he wasn't raised from the dead, then all that we believe is useless. Mm-hmm. So I think the gospel has to cover all of those points. It can't just cover he died for my sins. And that's where a lot of people just leave it. Mm-hmm. Jesus died for me. It's just like, yeah. But at the same time, God, the Father, raised him from the dead. And if he wouldn't have, it would have proved to the world and to me that Jesus was not the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doug Wilson said, Jesus didn't die so that we could live. Jesus died so that we can die, and then he was resurrected so that we can also be resurrected. Absolutely. We, everybody's going to die. This, this body, our bodies are going to die. There's, there's <laughs> no escaping it. Um, so Jesus died so that we can die, uh, but that not be the end of it. And then he was resurrected so that we can also be resurrected through yeah. him. Yeah, he gave you the gift of eternal life. Yeah. And that gift of eternal life is only because, number one, he died. He died for me. He was buried. And on the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead. If he would not have been raised from the dead, he was not the Son of God. Yeah. Because he was the only person, the only human that was ever raised from the dead without another human being involved. Right. I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus, but there had to be another person calling forth. Mm -hmm. You know, there were several people that were raised from the dead in Scripture. But Jesus is the only one that was raised from the dead without another person, another human being involved. Mm -hmm. So I think that that proved that he was the Son of God because God the Father, I'm not leaving you in there to be corrupted. Mm -hmm. I've got to fulfill all my Scriptures. And I have already said in the Psalms that you will not see corruption. So I've got to stand behind my truth, which is my word, and I've got to raise you from the dead Mm -hmm. because you did what you did and you were sinless. Um, If he had any sin, if he had any sin, now obviously on the cross he took on every single sin that was imaginable. But he went to the cross sinless. Yeah, They were imputed to him so we would have the gift of eternal life. That way... The wrath of God was poured out on him so it doesn't have to be poured out on us mm-hmm. if we profess faith in Christ. Yeah, because you know, I've heard, I've heard some people ask, well, why couldn't God just forgive us of our sins without Jesus having to die for us? Well, then he wouldn't be just. And you know, I've heard the argument that... He wouldn't be true. Yeah, that, that his, his... I hate to put it this way, but his wrath had to be satisfied. And he couldn't just forgive. You know, it's like a... If somebody was arrested for stealing and the judge has been having a good week and so he's like, ah, you know what, it's your first time, I'll just let you off the hook. There's no accountability, there's no justice in that. Whatever store he stole from, say he stole from a small mom and pop that, you know, it actually actually hurt him. It wasn't just like Walmart that wouldn't even notice that that money was gone. Um they would want justice if they if the guy got arrested and, and the judge was like ah, I'll just let you off the hook 
you know, that, that mom and pop, those owners would be pretty mad, um, rightfully so, and there'd be no justice. So, so God's, God's wrath, um, let me put it like this. We committed a crime, sin, and somebody had to pay for that, and we are not able to do that. Um, and so Jesus paid for that for us because he, he was able to, and so that, um, you know, the, the crime was made just. It was paid for um, so that God could still be true and still be just, but at the same time have mercy and grace for mm-hmm. everybody who accepts Christ. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because of what we're talking about right now, what is truth, it had already been said the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. And there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Yeah. So those things had to be fulfilled. If it was me or you, well, we weren't sinless. So we wouldn't have got up <laughs> out of the grave. I've heard an analogy said like this, and it was a pretty good analogy. It kind of helps you. It helped me to understand just a little bit of the gravity of it. It doesn't put it completely into perspective. But there were these five brothers, and the oldest of them had a big algebra exam the next day, so he was up in his room studying, and he was studying and studying and studying, and he started hearing this bang and clash next door and the other four brothers were throwing rocks through the windows of the empty house next door well mom comes down the front steps and looks next door and the four brothers are standing there but everybody's already thrown the rocks so she can't really say who did it the older brother looked out of his window he sees what's happening and he goes downstairs and he says it's my fault it's my fault and he took the blame for the four younger brothers. Well, she let him take the blame. She let him take the blame. Even though she knew that he didn't do it, he wanted to stand in the gap for his four younger brothers. So he got a whipping, and he had to go to his room the rest of the night. Those four younger brothers knew that they were guilty. They knew it, they were guilty, but the older brother was doing something for them. But the penalty had not been paid, and they knew that the actual penalty and the punishment was not over until they heard that bedroom door open up and he was allowed to come out. Mm. So kind of the same thing with the grave. When Jesus came out of the grave, it was like, The father accepted the sacrifice that the older brother made, so he was able to get out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an, an analogy that I think that some people can understand a little bit easier because we've all stood in the gap and took blame for something, or somebody's taken blame for us when we did something wrong. Obviously, it's not on the same scale as what Jesus did for us, but yeah. at the same time, it's an analogy. So I think that. God, the Father, had to do what he did. I mean, he had to. I mean, it's just like, I believe, I believe that Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus and God the Father 
had a covenant agreement. Here's what has to be done. You're going to be the ransom. I'm going to, I'm going to send you down there. You're going to die for all of them. It's going to be an absolutely horrible death. And obviously, the word, Jesus, already knew what the death was going to entail because, I mean, you got the Old Testament scriptures that said your beard's going to be plucked out. You're not even going to be recognizable as a human. You're going to be flogged. You're going to hang on a tree outside of the city gates. You're going to be put into a tomb. You're going to stay in there for three days. But the Father's, and Jesus totally trusting the Father, but I'm going to get you out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you out. And it was just like a total trust, a total obedience to the Father. And it's just like, what a great example. Yeah, and I think that's that's um, that's something I've, I've slowly learned over time is, is um, following Jesus. Is, it's one of the most, it is, I think, believe it's the most difficult thing that you can do. Uh, if you if you do it wholeheartedly, um, uh, so having trusting trusting Jesus while you follow him doesn't mean that he's going to make it easy for you, but you know that he's always in control. You know that, and I feel like that phrase has been watered down so much, but you know that that he can't fail. And no matter how hard things get, no matter how just dark and and difficult things get, uh, we I think that's what allows us to have joy through all of that. When it's commanded in Scripture to to rejoice uh, through the trials and temptations, uh, because we know that truth that Jesus, first of all, God's providence is He is completely sovereign and has control over everything. Uh, so whenever we believe that truly and we trust that he has our best interest in mind, he he knows, he can see the whole picture. It's not just what we're seeing. He doesn't have tunnel vision like we have. Um, we can just, we can rest in that and we can, and then if, you know, worst comes to worst, you die, whatever, you know, whatever the hardship is, it ends up killing you. But to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's just you finished your race and, mm-hmm. and you get to you get to go rest for a while until that second trumpet blows. And uh, man, it's just it's easy. It, it's I think that's what Jesus is talking about whenever he says um, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's it's a burden, but uh, yeah, it, it is. It's light. It is, and I would agree with you that it is definitely the most challenging thing that I've ever. As a goal, I'm mm-hmm. going to say it that way, as a goal embarked into, I would say that, I would say this wholeheartedly, that making a million dollars is not that hard compared to following Jesus. Mm. I would say that a lot of things that are goals for humanity in this material world, whether it's becoming an NFL player or an NBA star or whatever that may be, following and living out the teachings of Jesus is way harder. Yeah. It's way harder. 
I mean, I think it is. Yeah, I agree. I've never been an NFL player, <laughs> and I've never been an NBA mm-hmm. star. You can tell by my stature that I'm probably <laughs> not going to be. Mm-hmm. But there are other goals that, you know, we've set and gotten close to reaching them. But at the same time, when you start trying to live out the teachings of Jesus, one of his teachings will cause you not to be able to accomplish that goal if it doesn't lead you to becoming like him. Mm-hmm. It just it happens. So as far as achieving goals and things like that, I think that when you're trying your best, when you set the goal to live out the teachings of Jesus because he says, greater love has no man than to lay down your own life for them. Do what I told you to do is what he said. Do what I told you to do. And I think that a lot of people, including myself, I I didn't get that for a long period of time, that to truly show him that I believe in him, that I truly believe he's the Lord, truly believe he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, then I have to do what he said. Mm-hmm. Because just like anything else, if you don't do what you know you got to do, you don't really believe in it. Mm-hmm. You really don't believe in it. Yeah, I've got a, a tough question for you. So first, first John 3.18, um, John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So the tough question is, how do you feel like the church, the American church in general, has done at loving not in word or talk, but in deed and truth? That kind of goes hand in hand with not let us be, not don't let us just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Yeah, I think there's more of that that happens out on the streets than there is at a church building. Now, I know there are a lot of super awesome gatherings of people that are doing love. But at the same time, it's very difficult today, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, where religion doesn't get in the way of loving, Mm -hmm. where religion doesn't get in the way of loving. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's just say that you go to a church where it's just like everybody kind of dresses their best. That's, That's not where I necessarily attend service, but at the same time, there are churches where it's just like your Sunday's best is required. And then a person comes in and rags, and you either want to set them in the corner to where they're not going to interfere with service, or you want them to just wait outside until service is over, until all the theatrical stuff is over, and then you can love on them or do whatever you need to do. Yeah, and, I, and I think part of that is, is um, trying to please people in, instead of God. Um, what scripture is that where it says if you're trying to please men, you're not you're not serving God? I can't remember where that is, but um, it's politics. Yeah, and it, well, and I think um, it's the church, maybe not the pastor. I'm not going to put it all on the pastor, but the church administration for just any you know any local church body that they there's an understand kind of an unspoken understanding that. The people who attend that church, that's the culture they like. They like everybody to be dressed up and, mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of picturing a Baptist church, not to, not to bash the Baptists, but, um, you know, everybody's white or light blue button ups, uh, probably a tie, you know, everybody is, is very well behaved and quiet and knows their place. And, and so whenever somebody comes in who doesn't fit into that, uh, culture, it, it kind of bugs the people that, that are there because of that culture. Mm-hmm. And that, um, if you're in that position, you, I believe, this is my opinion, if you're in that position, you are unable, completely unable to show somebody the love of Christ. Because um, you're in your head, you're thinking this, you know, you're whether it's conscious or subconscious, you're judging that person and you're putting a barrier between yourself and them uh, that doesn't allow you to completely see them as uh, just a human being that is no better or no worse than you are. And, uh, you know, maybe some, maybe there's somebody in that culture who has good intentions. They're still going to be, um, it's, it's still going to be prideful at that point. They're going to think, they're going to be aware of that, the way that they see that person and then they're going to be prideful of the fact that they can set that aside to love this person because they are, um, you know, less fortunate or they're different than me. And I can, I'm good enough to set that aside and show this person love regardless. Yeah. And then it just, bec- it becomes a competition. It becomes prideful and it's not, it's not, um, loving that person because you're just overwhelmed with gratitude of how Christ has loved you. Um, and so you just, you just want that you're filled up with that love so much that it just overflows onto others. You know, it overflows in, in your actions towards others. Um, I think you asked a question about the American church today, but I think if you even go back to the teachings of Jesus in the parable of the good Samaritan, I mean, I think that you see it displayed. He's telling mm-hmm. you, he's telling you exactly what religion does yeah, and what you're describing is religion. Yeah, the, the the first two couldn't, you know, they they weren't they weren't sure if he was dead or not, and they they would be, uh, what's the word that scripture uses? Not like tainted or or they would be uh, they would become impure if they were to get within a certain distance of a dead body or whatever. Well, I think even touching blood, yeah, even touching blood would have made them impure. But at the same time, those were the religious leaders. He he makes a point to make those characters in that parable religious leaders of that day, the people who should have been showing mercy and love and the things that God most desires, not your sacrifice, your tithe, your offering, mm. but more of the mercy and love and, and grace, especially in today's age. But it takes a person who's unclean in those religious leaders' eyes, mm-hmm. a Samaritan, who is basically a dog to them, mm-hmm. has to come and be nice to this potentially dying person if there was no assistance. And he even goes so far as to put him on his own animal, take him to a hotel, pay for whatever needs to be done now, and give his word that whatever else money you spend, in between now and when I come back, I'll pay you when I get back. So I don't sacrifice like that. I don't sacrifice like that. 
you know, there's probably moments where I sacrifice for people, but it's in that moment. I don't be like, hey, and whatever else the bill is, when I get back, I'll pay that too. It's just like, usually it's just like, here, let me buy you a meal. Deuces. <laughs> you know, I've done my good deed. <clears throat> and I think James, even though a lot of people don't really like the book of James, I think because Martin Luther and a lot of other people really thought that James was a works-based book, he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. And I think that it's basically living the, te- I'll live the teachings of Jesus out is basically what he's saying to me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's a, it's hard, man. Well, yeah, and I think um, something that just because of, of the American culture and the mindset that most of us have, whenever we think of, of sacrificing for others or, or helping others, our mind kind of immediately goes to money. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, not everybody has has money to be able to help somebody else. You know, they may be barely getting by themselves. So that kind of gives them a, an excuse. Um, but everybody's got time. And I think, obviously, there's exceptions to every rule, and this is just my opinion. But if you everybody has time, and if you don't have time, it's probably because you're working so much. And if you're working so much... You probably have some extra money. Now, I know there's tons and tons of people that are working two, three, two, three jobs just to be able to get by. So, obviously, it's, this doesn't apply to everybody. But um, the point I'm trying to make is everybody has the opportunity to sacrifice something to serve others in some way, no matter what that looks like. Um, Donating time, donating money. I think time is much more valuable than money. Um, you know, if you if you if you give somebody ten bucks to go to go get a meal, they're going to be thankful. But if you go buy them the meal and then spend an hour listening to them and and talking to them and and just making them feel like they're a valuable person just by spending that time with them, that that's a that has a much bigger impact. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and you're right. Unfortunately, I think that if sometimes spending that hour with that person, it starts to create a relationship. Mm -hmm. And what, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time for is more relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have time for more relationships. But how many of us have already have relationships or friendships that aren't? beneficial to have that are I know that are actually the opposite that are harmful to our well-being absolutely. that we could easily give up to make time for those relationships absolutely I agree with you I'm not saying it's right but mm-hmm. the reason that a lot of people don't engage in that one-hour conversation because <clears throat> you may like that person or you may have the personality that you're a pleaser mm. and you're gonna sit there and listen and then what's going to happen is that person, you're going to exchange numbers. They're going to start calling all the time or they're going to start texting all the time. And we have gotten so busy in this culture that it's not because you don't necessarily want to. You don't have time to do that because you're already neglecting 
important relationships in your life mm. because you're hustling after the dollar. Yeah. Or in my case, um, I'm, I'm getting better at this and I'm trying to keep getting better. But for me, whenever I say I don't have time, it's not because I'm pursuing, quote unquote, more meaningful relationships or anything like that. It's just I like to have a lot of me time. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to in the day and two, three, four, five hours of, of not talking to anybody. Yeah. And, um, so, and I've used this excuse in the past, um, all, everything I say, I'm talking to myself, but, um, whenever I would say I don't have time, it's because, uh, it's not because I've got work to do or anything like that, but oh, I don't, I don't have time. I've got to make sure the last four hours of my day yeah. are, are about me having, you Absolutely. know, being entertained or just having that time or whatever. Um, and it's, uh, I think if you, if you sacrifice that time, um, with the purpose and the, and the goal of trying to be obedient to Jesus and love others, mm-hmm. um, I think, I believe that God will, he'll make sure that you have enough time. You know, if that is something that's valuable to have that alone time or whatever, yeah. like in my case, uh, he'll make sure I get enough. You know, I'm not, he's not, oh, yeah. he's not going to. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Lay down your life for others. Mm-hmm. It's basically, it's not necessarily stepping in front of a bullet. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It's not necessarily stepping in front of a a big old sword thrust. Yeah. It's basically laying down what gratifies your own flesh. Yeah. It's laying down what gratifies your own flesh for somebody else. And you can go way on the other side of it because I've played both sides of that fence is doing that so much mm-hmm. that you haven't seen your wife or your kids mm-hmm. in like two weeks. And then it starts to create problems in your own family dynamic. But you were really doing it. You were really doing it out of a good heart. Mm-hmm. You were really trying to help other people. But I think that they're, I don't believe in balance. You I don't? I don't. Why not? I, I was, cause I was, I was about to say, well, there's a balance to that. So. I just don't think it's possible. I think that I disagree with you, but if there's if there's only 24 hours and we're all allotted the exact number of seconds mm-hmm. in a day, mm-hmm. you're no richer than me. At 12:01, me and you are going to have the exact same amount of time in our bank account, mm-hmm. and you can use it. You don't necessarily. I mean, I guess people can say they they would they would look at somebody. And they say, he's wasting so much time. How do you know what's going on in his mind? Mm -hmm. How do you know what his goals are? How do you know what he's trying to accomplish? How do you know what God has put in his heart to do at that time? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where that judgment comes from. But if we got balance would mean that, and I'm just using it from a sheer physics standpoint. Mm -hmm. If you sleep eight, because that's what everybody thinks you need, eight hours of sleep. And I think that there is some science that goes into that you need a healthy amount of sleep. You got eight hours of sleep. Most people in today's society are going to work for eight hours. 
So that would mean the other eight hours, you're going to have to do something for eight hours. Now, if you do 12 things in that eight hours, that's not balance. Because you got eight hours here, eight hours here, and now you got 12 other things. So you got two spokes that are really long, and you got 12 short little spokes. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a wobbly wheel going down the road. Yeah, but the beautiful thing about time is that we all have more than one day. So if we have, if you, if how do you, you know that? If God wills, we will all have more <laughs> than one day. So, so if you if you change that, the. Um, the unit of measurement from a day to a week or to a month. So say, let's change it to a week. Mm-hmm. So now you've got, oh, how many, how many, 24 times seven? What is that? One, 140, 168, 168 hours in a week. If you sleep for 56 of them, I'm mm-hmm. not going to do all this math on the top <laughs> yeah. of my head. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. But if you, you know, so uh, if you have, let's take that eight hours of free time, like you were saying. Uh-huh and you have 12 things to do, do three of them over, over a period of four days, and then now you've got three extra days to decide, you know, you've got an extra 24 hours, eight of free time times three days, you've got 24 hours to decide what you're going to do. So there, I think there is a balance, because I think um, you can, uh, like for example, you and I, we meet at church at, at 7.30 on Sunday mornings, um, you are a lot busier than I am, but you've set that time aside uh to spend with me you're valuable to me well thank you you're valuable to me too but we do that once a week we don't do that every single morning at 7 30 and so i think there is a balance that can be achieved uh and if you look at jesus he i think he i think he found that balance and i think that's why he was constantly going up on top of mountains to get away from everybody to pray and spend time with his father. And I think if we neglect, I think that's the, that's the highest priority. Yeah. Uh, I think that even comes over sleep and time with family. That's why I think that that's, I'm sorry if I interrupted No, 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 go ahead. That's why I don't personally believe in what the world has sold us as balance. I think there is being led by the spirit. Yeah. Led by the spirit is not balance because the spirit will lead you sometimes in a direction that is like, I really don't want to do this right now. Mm-hmm. This is going to totally interrupt what I've already planned. Yeah. So I think that there's being led by the spirit. I think being led by the spirit leads you into balance that it you couldn't, maybe. <laughs> that you couldn't otherwise <laughs> achieve on your own. It definitely, I think leads you into truth. Yeah, absolutely. And if balance is your definition of truth, then I would agree. <laughs> Now you're just <laughs> you're just changing the word so that you can agree with me, but no, you know no. you know I'm right. That's fine. Yeah, I know you're right. <laughs> so I think that when you have words like you know truth and something that I'm trying to get better at is mm-hmm. it's just telling the truth. Yeah, that's been one of the hardest things for me to do, man. Yeah, do you ever find yourself talking, like telling a story or something, and and you just you fill in a blank to the story, and then immediately in your head you're like, man, that wasn't true. Why did I just say that? Absolutely. Or I'm trying to remove, unless it is 100% factual, remove the word never and the mm. other word always. Yeah. I never say that. And then just as soon as I say that, we'll walk out there, and I'll say that. Or always. I always get up at 4 a.m. I don't always get up at 4 a.m. No, you shouldn't. 
But at the same time, it's just like people will say, I get up at, I get up at 4 a.m. every day. It's just like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you do not. Now, if you set your clock at 4 and the alarm goes off at 4 every day, that's great. That means your alarm clock goes off at 4 o'clock every day. But you know as well as I do how many people hit the snooze button. Oh, yeah. And it's just like hit it again, hit it again, hit it again, hit it again, hit it again. And I think that just trying to start by just telling the truth, and the first person I have to tell the truth to is me. Yeah. I have to tell the truth to me. It's just like because how many times have you been doing something? There's no audience, there's no crowd, and you mess up. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows it. But somebody's always watching. Mm-hmm. Somebody's always watching. I think Brandon Burlesworth in that movie Greater, it's just like it was such a great example, and it really kind of hit home for me. And I think that sometimes movies and music, like NS new album, I've been listening to a little bit of that. It's just like I like that stuff. Yeah, best album released in a long time. Hey, you you told me you were the it's, one that inspired me. It's called Clouds. Everybody should go check it out. <laughs> not a sponsor. No, not a sponsor. That says Job Lab. But this guy who's not in great shape, not in great shape, is doing whatever it takes to, number one, earn a scholarship for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And he's in the dark inside of the the turfed indoor facility in Fayetteville. And Houston Nutt has just taken over as the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And he hears this guy down there just hitting the ground and doing stuff. He hears these grunts and this, you know, he's going through his moves. Houston Nutt flips the light on and he goes down there and he says, Brandon, is that you? He says, yeah, coach. I, I do this every night. And he goes down there and he's, he's going through his steps, perfecting what it is his craft is at that moment in time. And Houston Nutt makes the point to say, there's nobody watching. And Brandon says, Coach, there's always somebody watching. <laughs> there's always somebody watching. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we'll fall down, whether it's an addiction, whether it's something that we shouldn't be doing. But think about how many times you've been walking down the street and walking like a cool cat down the street. You got your, I mean, you looking good, whatever, <laughs> and you hang your toe and you fall down. And the first thing you do you is look you around. look around and see if anybody's watching. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're not, and you go back to strutting. Mm-hmm. But you got to be honest with yourself and say, it's just like, you ain't that cool. Mm-hmm. You ain't that cool. Yeah, and that's that's uh, something I've kind of found for myself is is whenever, so like you were talking about, when you mess up and nobody's around to see it, um, you can't lie to yourself, you, and you don't have to. That's the beautiful thing is you – you accept it you hopefully you learn from it and you move on and try to get better but whenever you whenever you have that mentality um with everybody around you so if you if you act if you are just as honest when there's others watching or just with others as you are with yourself it's kind of it kind of uh it's a burden lifted off to off of you cuz you don't have to uh, you know, if it's like an image, like a self-image thing, and you're trying to present yourself as this specific type of person mm-hmm. or whatever, if that's not really you, then you, there's so much mental effort that goes into maintaining that 
um, that is so exhausting, and it's it and it's it it causes so much harm over time. But whenever you just allow yourself to just be honest with everybody, and you got to know that you're going to step on some toes, people are are not going to like what you have to say all the time. And sometimes you don't always have to say something. Sometimes you should keep your mouth shut. But whenever you're that honest with with everyone around you, um, I think people who aren't ready or willing to hear the truth will just they'll just they won't like it and they'll they won't be around you. They'll leave. But the ones that appreciate that and the ones that are going to respond well to that will mm-hmm. come to you. And I think that can, that can, um, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, that'll give them the freedom to do the same thing. And it creates a more genuine edifying relationship or friendship. Um, and it's just, it's a burden lifted off of you to be able to just be honest with everybody. I think so. I think you're, I think you're right. I think that's truth. Mm -hmm. I think that even though it's the greatest challenge I've ever accepted, to try to live out the teachings of Jesus, and I say try. Yeah, it's also hands down, hands down, the most liberating thing mm. that you will ever embark on. Yeah, because when you live one out, when you live one out, and you truly did it because you are trying to be obedient to your King. When you live one out, not that other people are not important. The people in your life are important, but the most important is satisfied with you. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of feel that attaboy or that good job, mm-hmm. that good job, that, that voice that the Holy Spirit will speak to you, that voice of encouragement just saying, you did it. Mm-hmm. See, you can do it. All things are possible. Yeah, and whenever you have... Whenever your mind is set on eternity and not everything here, yeah. you, you know, relationships, the earth, everything here is, is going to fade away. It's going to be no more someday. But whenever you have your mind set in eternity, it really, for me, it's been really, really helpful on, on uh, Absolutely. Uh, achieving that. I agree. So my boss from Guatemala, David, he shared a story uh, or kind of the, his viewpoint on going back to the balancing time mm-hmm. and that kind the of truth. thing. The truth, yeah. And he he painted this picture of, and this kind of goes with the eternity mindset. Um, he's convinced that he's going to die at 84. I don't know why he's so sure of that, but he is, <laughs> he is 100% sure that he's going to die at 84. So he says... Whenever after he dies, he's up in heaven for ten years, and uh, say he while he's here on earth for eighty-four years, he serves for a total of sixty of them, uh, uh, roughly seventy-five percent. Um, after he's been in heaven for ten years, if he thinks back on his time here on earth, and he says, "Man, out of eighty-four years, I have to, I served sixty of them. Sixty years—that's a long time. I did I did pretty good." And he's been in heaven for a hundred years, and he's like, yeah, eighty. I had eighty-four years, and I gave sixty of them. That's not bad, you know. I did all right. After he's been in heaven for a thousand years or ten thousand years, man, I had eighty-four years. That's it. I had such a short amount of time, mm-hmm. and I wasted twenty-four of them on doing stuff that doesn't matter. I I only spent sixty years serving, 
and I wasted 20, I wasted 25% of my time on earth. And it just, it really, that really hit home with me because that was around the time that God really started showing me, hey, you use that excuse a lot of, I don't have time to do this or that, but it's really because you're spending the last four hours of the day watching YouTube videos or just, you know, vegging out, not mm-hmm. not doing anything meaningful. So, uh, yeah, that that really spoke to me. Yeah, and I don't know how this necessarily ties into what the wasting of of time, especially as far as 24 years, but what people, what humans, what I, we want God to fix this mess. Mm-hmm. And we get so focused and angry at God because he doesn't fix this mess. He's going to. It's just not going to be in this age. Yeah. And I'm okay with that because I have what I feel is the truth in the scriptures. And it tells me that there's going to be an appointed time that Jesus will no longer be seated at the right hand of the Father. He's coming down here. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first time he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. (laughs) And when you as a king come into a town, a village, or a city in that time on a donkey, that was a symbol of peace. The second time that he comes back, he comes back on a horse. That is a, that is a symbol of war. Mm-hmm. So the first time he came as the Prince of Peace, Hosanna, but the second time that he comes... He's coming on a white horse. And that will be the time that he sets everything right. I mean, there's going to be a thousand years, according to Scripture, um, the millennial reign of Christ, I think. During that time, he's going to rule with a, a rod of iron. And I think that what's interesting is we will get to rule and reign with him, according to Scripture, during, during that time if you've professed faith in him during your 84 years. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of times people will beat themselves up. They'll use the past as a club instead of using the past as a school. Mm -hmm. And people will say, well, it's, it's PTSD and all these other things. Well, I probably have PTSD. You probably have PTSD. If it's post-traumatic stress disorder, it's just like we've all been through traumatic events. We've all been through stressful situations. But you can, you have the ability through what you've been given, which is the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, to deal with that, to deal with that. And I'm learning more and more each day because of the truth to learn how to deal with that stuff. And it's just so interesting to me that I've been bound for such a long period of time by that stuff. Mm. And that's what he came to do was set us free. Yeah, I mean, literally set you free. Mm-hmm. So I think that it is possible, but it's only possible with the truth. Yeah. Something that I've kind of 
been thinking about recently is is you know there's that old cheesy saying whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger mm-hmm. um i think uh you know scripture says that god has a plan for all of us and uh, i believe that god is completely sovereign meaning everything bad that happens to me or anybody else is because god allowed it to happen uh and then you could even go farther and say that it's because he made it happen uh, we're not going to argue that right now but whether he makes it happen or allows it to happen, uh, I think he does that purposefully. And I think every trauma that I've gone through, uh, the way I kind of see it is that trauma, uh, after God got me through it, I survived it, and I've learned from it. Now I'm equipped to help somebody else that is going through that same trauma. And... So everything bad that has happened to me, everything that has been painful, everything that is, has just, you know, broken me down. It's another tool in my tool belt to uh, be show somebody else who is going through a similar trauma the love of Jesus because I'm equipped. You know, it's really hard for, <clears throat> let's say, uh, drug addicts. If somebody who's never experienced addiction to anything, much less drugs, mm-hmm. tries to tries to give advice to a drug addict, they're not really going to hear them that well. Um, you know, it's like, especially if it's a if it's a a, a, a Christian who is like, man, just pray. All you got to do is pray. And I mean, yeah, you should pray, but it's not that simple. Um, but if if you can go to somebody and say, hey. I was addicted to meth for 10 years. Uh, I know how hard addiction is, and I know all of the pain that you're going through, physical withdrawals and everything. I know how hard that is. I can't. I don't have to try to imagine it. I've been through it. I know how hard it is. I know exactly what you're feeling, but it's, it's possible to get out of it, and here's how it worked for me. Um, and it, it really allows somebody to open up a little bit more and hear the advice that you may have or just the just the support not even advice but just support yeah and i think that that has a that has a scriptural basis for the simple fact it says you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. and i think that your testimony is what is really what you've experienced to come back to back into the kingdom. I think the the parable of the prodigal son is probably the most paramount thing that sticks out in my head right now. It's just like you think about this young kid who takes all of his inheritance. You think about people today and put them in that same scenario in a sense. Let's say that their mom's purse is on the cabinet in the kitchen. She's gone to bed you go downstairs, you know she's got $400 in there. You take the $400 and you go spend it on meth, booze, weed, whatever. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Is that any different than what the prodigal son did? He took, he basically said, I don't care about you. Hmm. 
because basically asking for your inheritance before your parent was dead was basically saying, you're dead to me. Mm -hmm. Just give me the money. That's of more value to me. Then he goes and spends it based on scripture, goes, spends it in wild living, (laughs) getting drunk, prostitutes, ends up broke, destitute. He's feeding pigs. Sleeping with them. Sleeping with Sleeping with the pigs, eating their food Mm -hmm. because he's so hungry. And he finally hits rock bottom. And you've heard it said so many times by people who have a child or a family member that is going through addiction. They'll say, well, they got to hit bottom. And it's just like, well, number one, nobody can determine what bottom is for a person. Because I've seen people, and you have too, that I was like, that's got to be bottom. (laughs) It wasn't bottom if that's what they have to hit. Mm Mm-hmm. What they have to hit is basically this sucks and you cry out to God and you say, I'm sorry. And then it's when that happens, when that happens, this kid had prepared a speech. I'm going to walk the road all the way back to dad's house and I'm going to tell him I'm not even worthy of being your son. I'll just be one of the servants here in the house. But the dad is basically waiting in that scripture, waiting, looking for him to come home and runs out to meet him and he doesn't even let the kid get his spiel out about him not being worth being his son and tells one of the servants to go get some fresh clothes and get him a ring proving that he's my son. I think that it's that that people need to hear. Mm -hmm. He... He accepts you. Mm-hmm. He accepts you. I mean, if you're going through addiction, guess what? Even while being an addict, he accepts you. Mm-hmm. Just go home. Yeah. Yeah, he, run, he runs to meet you where you are. That was, I don't remember where I heard that originally, but he, Jesus meets you where you are. You don't have to come, you don't have to uh, get all cleaned up and then go to him. He, he, He's yeah. ready to step right into the situation. And but what I mean you. by going home, a lot of people will take that scripture and they'll say, just go home. Go back to Flint, Michigan. That ain't going to fix your problem. You going home when you're in that situation is not going to fix your problem. What you're going to do is you're going to take that problem with you back to the house that you came from. What I'm talking about is go to the king. Mm. You, you have to go to the king. You have to, that's why it says, blessed are those that mourn. You have to be sorry for what you've done mm-hmm. against God, and he, he forgives you, but you still got to say, I'm sorry. Yeah, and he's, he's the one that is able to handle the problem. He's yeah, he's the one that's able to handle the problem. You can't, like you were saying, if you just go home, you're going to take the problem with you. But Jesus is the one that... that He's capable and, and ready and willing to Absolutely. handle that issue, handle that problem. Absolutely. I mean, he, what I'm saying is go home. Yeah. Don't go. I'm not talking about, you know, kill yourself so you can go home. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying it's just like true home for true home for people, for humans, true home is wherever God is. Yeah. yeah but you're not going to be completely... You're not going to be completely addiction-free when you go home. 
You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like you're going home, you're accepted. He will help you work that out. And yeah, it's great to have people like you or me or other people in your life that can encourage you and and hold you accountable while you're trying to sober up or whatever mm-hmm. it is you're doing. But your yeah. source has to be him. It can't be humans. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say if if um you're talking about uh people saying well they have they have to find their rock bottom they have to hit their rock bottom i agree with that but that's not an excuse to just you know leave them until they do i think Mm-mm. i think you um you know it's it would change for every situation but however directly or indirectly you're involved you have to still in my opinion uh do everything in your power to help them um uh, not help them find rock bottom, but just give them give them hope and love on their way to rock bottom. And then whenever they hit it, they know that you know there's a there's a absolutely. But it. you know as well as I do that sometimes if you got a person that's addicted to a particular thing, and I don't know what that thing is for that person. How many parents have gone completely bankrupt, getting them out of jail, paying mm. their fines all the time, and they come back and they do the same thing, and they come back and they do the same thing, they steal from them, and and maybe even physically abuse them. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes it's not necessarily you want to help them, and I think you offer them hope and encouragement, but you can't always. It, it it's not that easy when a person is going through addiction just to say just come back home. Right. And, and like we were saying, you know, if you're that person, you have to go to the source. Just like if you're the person that's trying to help, you have to realize you're not the source. You, you're trying to help them find the source, but you're not, you're not the, you know, superhero that's going to step in and, and give them the solution. I don't think any human can do that. It's the parable of soils. Yeah. I mean, there's been so many times in my life, you take a person who, let's just say, for instance, they get just hammered drunk. And how many times has that person been, including myself, bent over a toilet asking God to help me because I've just done this to myself and I can't get this alcohol out of me? Mm. Um, and then you're one of the soils then. It's like it springs up quickly, but then when the sun comes out, it scorches it. Yeah. Or you're in the weeds. You come basically not back to faith, but you decide that you want to try to follow again. It grows, but all the weeds start growing up around it, and it gets choked out by money and cars and, yeah. and debt. And you could be the footpath to where, you know, the seed falls on the footpath and the birds of the air come quick. Mm. And those are the doubters. Those are the people who say, hey, Jesus stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? It, the, the enemy comes and snatches it away, but eventually... You have to recognize what stage of soil you're in, and there does have to be people, it seems like, come alongside of you and help you recognize, hey, man, you ever think that maybe maybe you're in the weeds? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, and I think not beating them up with the Bible, but just with the love. Telling them the truth. Yeah. Telling them the hard truth. And that, yeah, I tell mean, them the truth. That's, what, that's, what, uh, that's how you love somebody is... is uh, it's really easy to be there for somebody whenever it's going well for them, but whenever they're they're acting stupid, um, uh, it's the hard the hard moment of telling them the truth because you love them. 
it's not being mean to them. I mean, you can you can say it in a mean way, but a lot of people do. Yeah, but it's not. It doesn't mean that you're being mean to them because you tell them the hard truth. It yeah. means that you're loving them. Yeah. Somebody, if somebody is, <clears throat> if you're, if there's somebody who is about to jump off of a cliff. Uh, into some water they've, they've been wanting to you know they've been wanting to go cliff diving for a long time they get out they get on this cliff and they're gonna jump in if you've been down in that water and you know that it's only a foot deep and there's jagged rocks all over the place and you're up there with them you're not it would be the opposite of love to be like oh you know what they're gonna die as soon as they hit the water but they really want to it's gonna make them happy <laughs> on the way down yeah, uh, that's it. No, yeah, you, it it would be the loving thing to do to tell them, hey, there's rocks in that water, and as soon as you hit, you're gonna die. Oh, I've been wanting to do this my entire life. You can't take this. Why do you hate me? You can't take this away from me. And I was like, it's not hateful to tell them there's rocks in that water. You're gonna die. It's the loving thing to do. But they're sometimes they're gonna get mad at you for telling them that. Yeah, and I think that so many people have been beat up with the truth so much. Especially yeah. by, especially by, including myself, religion, mm. and I keep saying that. But at the same time, when you just have these regurgitated items that you have to check off, and when you see somebody not living that out, and you beat them up with that, it's just like, well, you're an adulterer. It's just like you're living in adultery. Yeah, it's good to maybe go through the scriptures with them and say, you know, here's what Jesus says on this particular topic. But you let the Holy Spirit just do what the Holy Spirit can do. It's just like you just throw the seed out there. You don't mm. just like, well, you're going to burn in hell because you're a homosexual. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's not a loving thing to do. What? It's not only not a loving thing, it's condemning to yourself. Yeah. Judge judge not lest you be judged and you'll be judged according to the way you've judged others. Well, you're sitting you're sitting in a seat that wasn't made for your butt. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> like it's it's gonna get real uncomfortable in that seat when when daddy comes in and you're sitting in his chair and nobody's supposed to sit in that chair except him. You know, so I think that it's gonna get real uncomfortable. I think that that's where also it talks about I mean, can a person can a person who is battling, battling same-sex tendency, who just professed faith in Christ for the first time, yes, you can point out what Jesus says or you can point out what Scripture says, but it's, it's their responsibility in conjunction with the Holy Spirit's responsibility to deal with that. Mm-hmm. It, I'm just... If, they, if they're a professing believer, that makes them my brother or sister in yeah. the Lord, and God is no respecter of persons. Right. And we try to elevate these sins over the sins I'm dealing mm. with, and that's why Jesus says, hey, won't you stop messing with that piece of sawdust that's hung in the corner of Pierce's eye, and won't you work on that log <laughs> that is hanging out of yours? Mm-hmm. Because I got plenty of I got plenty of stuff to deal with. Yeah. I got plenty of stuff to deal with. Yeah, and it's not... It's not uh, you know, with with homosexuality, but with any other sin, it's not any human's job to try to quote unquote fix somebody else. I, I, I hate that word. Um, it's just your job to love them, show them love, and like I was saying, sometimes you know you got to share the hard truths in love, but just love them, and it's the Holy Spirit's job uh, to reveal to every one of us the things that we are messing up in and to help us to become more like Christ and leave those sins behind. 
Um, yeah, and so, you know, everybody's walking around with logs in their eyes. Yeah. It's not, you know. Well, we can't make it grow. Right. We can't make it grow. It's our responsibility to cast seed mm-hmm. and to water. Mm-hmm. And cast seed is use scripture, not quotes from Mark Twain, yeah. not quotes from the lyrics of a song, mm-hmm. is to use scripture because that's the only real seed. The word of God is the seed. Mm. But... Use them appropriately. Yeah. Use in them appropriately. Context. In context. In context and appropriately. Mm-hmm. It, you'll see so many people, they'll have a, a, a loved one die. Well, God needed another angel. <laughs> well, number one, it's just like, that's not in the Bible. I've never heard that. Well, they say it. <laughs> I've been to enough funerals. It's like, yeah. it, it, it's such ridiculous things, mm. and it's well-intentioned. Yeah. But that makes God ugly. Yeah. God needed that person more than you needed your child. Mm-hmm. No. There's just there's so many things that people have been taught or they believe that aren't true that cause people to stumble. And I think that Jesus says it'd be better for it'd be better for you not to cause people to stumble. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a, a big old rock that weighs probably about two hundred pounds hung around your neck with a chain, and me throw you off into a pool of water that's at least 50 foot deep. Swim. I jumped off a boat at Lake Tenkiller one time with my shoes on, and I about drowned getting to shore. Yeah. It's just like 200-pound rock on my neck ain't happening. I'm going to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So I think that you just got to be careful of that stuff. Use it appropriately in context. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to know it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got to know it, right? It's it says um, the Holy Spirit will will uh, I can't remember the phrasing, but the Holy Spirit will bring it to your bring it to mind in the appropriate bring time. Bring to remembrance. Yeah, bring to remembrance in the appropriate time. Well, if it's not something you've stored in your memory bank, then you can't bring it to remembrance. Obviously, God can do anything He wants, and 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 He can drop some knowledge into your head that you haven't studied before. But but uh, I don't think He does that all the time. I think. I think it's our duty to study the Word, know the Word, be familiar with it, so that we can use it to edify others the way God sees fit. Yeah, it's it's the seeds in the water. That's the only thing you should have. Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah, it really is. And I think that that is, for me, truth. Mm -hmm. That's truth. Yeah. Um, And I think that the truth sets you free. Free indeed. It, I just, I like the thought of being free. Mm-hmm. I like the thought of being free. <clears throat> Zechariah prophesied to the people of Israel during a time that they were being very oppressed by King Darius of Persia. Taxes were very high. The city of Jerusalem was still only partially rebuilt and was on the sidelines of the world of world significance, and they felt that God was absent. In this context, faithful obedience was viewed by many as useless. Pragmatically, it made more sense to pursue the best life possible in spite of the present difficulties. So instead of pursuing and believing truth, mainly that God was not absent and he still had plans for them to follow, they denied truth and decided to make the best of their bondage. They chose, they chose slavery over trusting God for their freedom. 
And then later on in Zechariah 8, 15 through 17, uh, God is speaking and he says, So I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another, render your gates gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Um, yeah, and then in First John 2, 4, whoever says, I know him, Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, keeps his word, like we were saying, we got to know his word. In him, truly, the love of God is perfected. That was just a little message for message for the church from me. Jesus would say, don't take an oath. Mm. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Yeah. Be truthful. Be truthful. And if you... If whatever you're going to say ain't truth, then don't say it. Mm. Then don't say it. Yeah, I heard somebody say one time, this is a quote I like to use a lot, um, you should only speak if what you have to say is more beautiful than the silence. <laughs> and obviously you can't live by that all the time or nobody would ever talk, but um, I think it's a good thing. It, for, it's been helpful for me to know when to, maybe I shouldn't say that. You know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should just bite my tongue right now, not say anything. And it's discipline. Mm-hmm. It's discipline and I'm I'm learning it. I think that, you know, we were talking earlier about people when they're going through something. Sometimes you just, sometimes you just listen. Yeah. Just listen. And you may not know anything about the topic that they're talking about. <laughs> and sometimes just listening. And then if you feel led by the Spirit to go and study out that particular topic, mm-hmm. shoot them a text. I mean, hey, man, I was studying about what we were talking about last night. And this is what I found in Scripture. And send them those Scriptures. Mm-hmm. That's That's something you can do but it's better to just sit there and be quiet and listen mm-hmm. and April gets on to me all the time don't just sit there like a lump mm-hmm. nod acknowledge look at them mm-hmm. active listening <clears throat> absolutely but I think that the truth will set you free indeed yeah and the word of God speaks for itself you don't have to it's like a lion homie just let it <laughs> out of the cage yeah. mm-hmm truth.